0: Would you please open your Bibles this morning to the book of Revelation? And uh, as we have been doing in each letter to the seven churches, uh, we first read again and again the vision that God gave to John on the Isle of Patmos, the glorious vision of Jesus Christ. And then we read the unique letter to the church that we're studying on, uh, on each Sunday. And remember, the reason we're doing that, is the more clearly we can see Jesus, the more we'll become more like him. The Bible says when we behold him, we'll become like him. Uh, when we revere him, we will more resemble him. And uh, Corinthians teaches us that. And so we want to not only see him more clearly, we want to be able to see ourselves more clearly. Um, uh, there, there are things in our lives that we've gotten so used to that we don't even maybe recognize as wrong anymore. I think you'll see that in the letter to the church at Thyatira, Thyatira and, uh, this morning. And so we want to see him more clearly, see ourselves more clearly, for the Lord to deal with sin and give us the hope, the joy of forgiveness, and the hope of transformation. All of that because we have a mission. And God's called us into this war-torn, sin-bound, Satan-prowling world to, to lead people to Jesus Christ. So, would you join me this morning in starting in Revelation chapter 1. We'll start in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades." Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are about to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And now would you go to chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality, and behold, As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, Lord, that's our prayer. That's just a great way for us to pray. Give us, Lord, we have ears, but we're not always listening. So would you use our ears? Would you use our eyes? Would you open up our hearts this morning to know you better, to love you more, and to serve you with greater abandon than we did yesterday? We love you, and we ask for you to be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, that ears to hear, keep that in mind. Um, I read this week a story of a, a soccer announcer, and he was, this soccer announcer was pretty well known, he was, he was in Ireland, and uh, he's pretty well known, especially, you know, the the way soccer announcers love to do, I won't, I won't blast your ears out with this, but the goal, you know, they just so celebrate that, and it gets the crowd going and everything, and well, on this occasion, he was he was a little bit aggravated because they'd given him, just like you do at so many athletic events or entertainment events, you know, that you get a card and it's, it gives a license plate number because so-and-so's lights are on. Well, in this case, it wasn't that their lights were on. In this case, it was that they were blocking an exit, um, an emergency exit. Their car was blocking an exit that they needed to move right away. So he announced it and... There was no response, and he announced it a second time, and there was no response. He announced it a third time. There still wasn't any response. It got to be about 30 minutes in. He's announcing it every five or six minutes. No one is responding. How dare they? Because what if there's emergency? we got to get that car moved. What in the world? And now he's, you can almost hear it in his announcing. I mean, there's no more joyful go kind of stuff. Now he's just saying, would the owner... Of the car with the license plate, XYZ, W3, 517, whatever. Please would you move your car? And he's doing and as he's saying the last letter or number of the license plate, he stops. And he realizes that's my car. <laughs> <laughs> Which I so related to because I can be such a cha-cha man. I can just be such a goober. And he's just realizing, oh, my goodness, I'm the one reading the announcement and I'm not hearing it. Well, that's going to have some similarities, I think, to what we're going to learn this morning about the church in Thyatira. The, the whole issue of he who has an ear, let him hear. I can't throw any stones about this. You know, if there was a top, if, if, if you ask Jan, what are the top five things that you would love the Lord to change about Billy? <laughs> There's way more than five things. Um, I see way more than five. I don't know what she sees, but I think one of them would be, Lord, could you help him be a better listener? I don't think I'm alone in the world of husbands uh, in that regard, um, but I don't listen to Jan well, even though I'm looking straight at her. I don't know, guys, have you ever done that? You ever get, Your wife just gets a little frustrated because you're even looking at her. I even have learned. I, there's this, you, you're supposedly somebody's listening well if they're giving you eye contact and their head's a little tilted. Well, I'll even do that, and I'm still not hearing her when I need to listen to her. But, but far worse than that is I tend to do that to the Lord too often as well. Imagine being the church at Thyatira, and remember this letter is 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 on kind of a circuit. And it's, it went to Ephesus first, and then to Smyrna, and then to Pergamum, and now it's it's to Thyatira. And it wasn't just that the, the the one reading the letter just wrote just read about Thyatira; he he also read about Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum. So I want you to kind of just kind of put the sandals on of that Thyatira church, and just how would you listen? Because we probably would, just you know how we can be. We can, we can probably go, yeah, we thought there was something wrong with that Ephesian church. We thought they, would, they had left their first love. So I'm sure glad the Lord talked to them about that. And then the Smyrna church, we knew, man, we knew they're going through some hard times. But there's some faithful brothers and sisters there. Even when God said things are going to get worse, they didn't, they didn't blink an eye. They just said, we're going to keep trusting. We're going to keep living on mission for the Lord. And then with Pergamum, oh, my goodness. You know, they're, they're, they, they stayed true to the mission of the gospel. And even when they lost, uh, one of their, their members were, was martyred. They stayed true to that. But they began to embrace false teaching and the reason that's so bad, guys, there's multiple reasons why that's so bad, but we behave based on what we believe. And if what you're hearing taught is not biblical and it's not from God, it's going to have an effect on the way you behave. And so, so that's the warning to the church at Pergamum. Well, the church at Thyatira is somewhat of a mirror image of Pergamum. The difference between the two is that the church at Thyatira, it looks like, is being given a final warning. Pergamum looks like the warning was more earlier into into being warned about the things they need to deal with and grow with. But this one, I mean, you saw, there was a lot of heavy stuff in what we read this morning. Did you see that? I I I hope you got a little uneasy reading about it. It should make us uneasy reading about it. And it was such a strong word because they've been hearing the license number again and again and again. You know what I'm saying? They've been hearing this message. You're tolerating false teaching. You're tolerating this. And it's coming from Jezebel probably wasn't the name. Some, some scholars think that was probably the name of the person. If that was, what a, what a Sunday to come to church. Christian, I mean, I the problem with this church is Christian cotton. I, mean, what would, I, don't, I don't know that that's what it was. I think this probably was a woman like the Jezebel of the Old Testament wreaking havoc like the Jezebel of the Old Testament did in Israel, and it was happening in this church. But they'd been hearing about this, and it was starting to affect. The whole church hadn't gone there yet. But there was this growing tolerance. So you notice the title of the message is When Tolerance Turns Into Transgression. And I think this is such a word for our time. It's a word for all time. in counting our, our time as well. So that's, that's the, the challenge here. Um, God speaks to them about what is going well in their church. And he speaks very soberly about this issue of tolerance and we want to hear both this morning. Um, they, were, they were loving, but they were undiscerning. They were loving, but they were unbiblically affirming way too much. And they were losing their grip on the gospel. So here's the main point this morning. To become more like Christ, God calls us to love at all times because Christ does but not to tolerate all things because Christ doesn't and that's what we're going to unpack in the text this morning first point this morning you see it in verses 18 and 19 god calls us to love what he loves is that ever been a prayer of yours lord please help me to love what you love That means it starts at home, and and God gives us huge instructions about a husband and a wife and how they're to love and how we're to love our kids and how we're to love God's church, the local church. God, we want to love what you love. Well, that's pretty cool because this church apparently was doing that well. Let me tell you a little bit about Thyatira before we we get into what the Lord is commending them for. Of all the seven cities listed in the letters to Revelation, this city was the least important and probably the smallest. Interesting, though, that this was the longest letter of the seven churches. Um, Smallest city, least important. God's measuring stick is not like ours, right? Uh, It wasn't a major religious center. It wasn't a major uh, political powerhouse. It was just a busy, minor Macedonian trading community. And if it was known for anything, and this is this is significant, and this really should strike home in some ways to us with all of our connectedness to media, and we just carry on our phones so much stuff that's really good in many ways, but really yucky in other ways. Well, there was some real in-your-face stuff. Just like, I mean, haven't you... Don't we regularly get in-our-face stuff on our phones? Just in our face. world The values of the fallen world and temptations and all kinds of things. Well, there was some really in-your-face stuff going on with, with the church in Thyatira because if they were known for anything, they were known for their, we could say in our, in our terminology, we might say they were known for their unions, their trade unions. They called them guilds, trade guilds. You couldn't, listen, you, you would be hard-pressed to find gainful employment if you didn't join a trade union, if you didn't try to join one of these trade guilds. So there was a guild for architect, there was a guild for baker, there was a guild for bricklayer, there was a guild for all of these things, which is nothing wrong in itself, except that what makes their trade unions different than our trade unions is that each trade union had their own patron false god. And you'd go to a union meeting, and you would would have dinner, and there'd be a great feast. Problem is that what you would have been eating was actually offered to your patron God, whatever your patron God was there. So so to to be employed in this, to, to stay employed, you had to participate in these union meetings, you had to eat of these feasts with the food that was offered to idols, and there was also some immorality that was often associated with the worship of these false gods. And often it bridged into sexual immorality. Wow. So this is my career. And this is in my face, isn't it? It's not like I'm going looking for this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not you know, in the dark of night at 3 in the morning going to the outskirts of town to the, to the X-rated bookstore I can't make a living without having to face this. It's in my face. So that's what was going on in this city. And to stay employed, they were faced with a huge decision, weren't they? I either tolerate what they do and compromise my faith, or I take a stand for Christ and as a witness of the gospel and lose my job. This is just real deal stuff. So verse 18, we see that Jesus is, this is why I'm saying that the bar was raised a little bit in the sense of how he's being described because when we read in chapter one, he was referred to as the son of man and we we remember his humanity as a perfect man. But this is reminding us he's the perfect, he's perfect God too. And he's a God who not only died to save sinners, he's also a God who has to judge sin. And so there's a sobriety even from the beginning. It reinforces us when he says, calls, that his eyes are a blazing fire and it can pierce through all of our defenses and reveal what's ruling our hearts and dominating our thoughts and driving our motives. And these piercing eyes, really they're both of love and of judgment. Don't you know people that just looking in their eyes... They don't even have to say anything. And you know they care. <laughs> they're just, I don't know how they do it. But they just something about them. Some, I guess it's just something in their heart. It's, whatever's in their heart's coming out of their face. You know, I mean, it's just, they, you, they, you just experience compassion when you talk to them. You experience um, kindness. You experience mercy. You experience patience. It's all in the eyes, isn't it? And Jesus, if people can do that to some degree, oh, how much more the Lord when he's looking at you, he's looking and he knows everything about you and he's loving you still. I mean, that should really kind of, oh, he knows everything about me and kind of hide. But yeah, he does. And he loves you. And he loves you still. But there are also eyes. Have you ever also been with somebody and you really highly regarded their walk in the Lord? You regarded them. These are holy people. This is a holy man. This is a holy woman. And you looked in their eyes And you almost want to just start confessing your sin to him. It's like, (laughs) there's just something about this person. It's like they're seeing right through me. Oh, my goodness. Guys, the eyes of Jesus are even more profound like that. Verse 23 says, his eyes are too pure to look upon sin. I'm cross-referencing a passage there. But then he says, I am he who searches the mind and the heart, and I will give to each of you according to his works blessings or correction or judgment. God will do. I would just ask you, so what is the Lord seeing when he's looking into your heart today? What is the Lord seeing? What is the Lord seeing? To reinforce his authority to judge, he reminds us that his feet are like burnished bronze. They're too holy to walk among wickedness. And he will tread down in judgment the unrepentant of heart. It's a sober reminder. It's why we need to be so passionate about giving the gospel everywhere we go. Verse 19, this is, this is the great thing. So, what, is, what does Jesus see in this church? Here's what he sees. This is awesome. They were strong God lovers. They were strong neighbor lovers. Their love was birthed out of their faith. Please, please, there, don't lose that attachment in the New Testament. Faith worketh through love. To throw a little King James in here. <laughs> it just, it just boggle sometimes of how, you know, the stages of your life when you marry when you memorize something and the, it was the King James Version and the ESV and all that. But faith works through love. How do I know that you're a believer? There should, how do you know that we have saving faith? Because there should somewhere be Christ-like love in us, right? And so, they're, so they're, they're, their love is birthed out of their faith. Their works of service are motivated from their love as well as their endurance. You saw all the things he highlighted there. And why? Well, of course, 1 Corinthians 13 says, because love endures all things. Oh, God, help us with that. Please help us with that. Well, God commended them because they were the kind of church that made you immediately feel at home. I, I, was, I saw so much of you all in, in this part of this story. Uh, this is the kind of church that, that welcomed you, and that, that, that almost seemed to rush to you on your first visit with them. They asked you to lunch after the service or to coffee during the week. They didn't hesitate to invite you to one of the small groups. It wouldn't be surprising that they had a mercy ministry, and they were doing a soup kitchen in in terms of loving the neighbor that that hadn't been maybe saved yet, or just the believer who was down on their luck or out of a job. Uh, They were likely the the church that had a pro-life outreach because they loved the sanctity of human life life they loved the lost they were evangelistic and all this love oh all this love pleased the lord and jesus joyfully commends them because they're actually loving god and neighbor more did this did this jump out at you? it says they were loving him more than they did at the first and that's where i want to really draw you in do you It's really got me. And I had to say, well, by God's grace, there's some areas of my life, yes. I, I would say that I love the Lord and I love neighbor more. But there's too many ways that I would say. I don't love the Lord as much today. I don't love my neighbor as much today. I don't love the church as much today. I think we could, go home, I could, we could go home with it, couldn't we? My love for my wife. I, I'm not nurturing and cherishing her as much as I did. Yeah, a wife. I, I'm not loving and respecting my husband the way I used to. So I want us to just take a minute and pray. Um, I think if the, Lord, if the Lord were looking at our church, I think, I think there'd be reasons that he would say for us as a corporate body, I think he'd be commending us because, they, listen, y'all, there are historic things happening in the life of our church. There are more people volunteering in ministry right now, I think. I don't think I'm being, exa- being uh, using exaggeration here. With, with children's ministry on Sunday mornings, third through fifth grade ministry, the youth ministry, discipleship group ministry, neighborhood outreach, with greeters ministry, with audiovisual ministry. Do you notice... How half of our audiovisual workers are, are, are youth. Do you notice that? How exciting that is? Our worship team ministry. I mean, our working with our Asian partner in terms of reaching unreached people groups and planting churches amongst unreached people groups. I could go on and on. I think the Lord would say, This is great, because Sovereign Grace Church, in many ways, your loving service of the Lord and of neighbor is. Grown more at least i 've been here almost twenty nine years I think I think we could say there's more now, I think, than then later than in the earlier time, but personally, how would you answer that and that 's where I, I just want to take forty five seconds a minute and just invite you to pray. talk to the Lord about this first, I think we ought to thank him for the ways that our love for God and neighbor have grown. I think, don't don't look at, if you have several, I had several ways that I had to deal with my heart in this. Don't look at several. If there's one area that comes to mind that you just know you're not loving God and neighbor like you used to, confess that to the Lord. Be excited that this sin was paid for at the cross too. And then the great news. Listen, you should be excited that God gives grace to grow stronger as a believer until he comes again. That's really what this is saying. It's saying, I've given you grace not to drift and, 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 and say this, this, thus far and no more. This is good enough. I know the Lord enough. No, there's grace to actually love him more and love neighbor more. So let's just take just a few minutes of quiet and let the Holy Spirit minister our hearts. you Lord I know that's different stopping to pray in the middle of a sermon we don't don't do that a lot we won't do that a lot but it's just in my heart I think there's just some times that we, we just we learn something and then we rush by it instead of stopping to say Lord can I talk to you just for a few minutes about this it's so wonderful that he's so available to us like that so that's what was going well in the church but second point is not only does God call us to love what he loves but he calls us to hate what he hates You might think hate I think God hates well we saw it in the that he hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans do you remember last week he hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans God hates what what blinds people from his glory and grace God hates that he hates the devil. He hates the lies. He hates all of those things. And he, he wants us to love what he loves, but to hate what he hates. And you see this right away, don't you, in verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrifice titles. So be thinking of the trade guilds, right? Right? According to 1 Kings, let's do a little Bible memory here. Uh, Jezebel was a daughter of pagan king Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. She marries Ahab, king of Israel. And the, really the major goal in their marriage was to influence Ahab and Israel to combine the worship of God with the worship of Baal which is just the same things that are happening today, though they wouldn't, we wouldn't call them bail, but it's become this acceptable form of Christianity to have a confessional belief that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but functionally I trust in everything and anything else but Jesus, for my living, for my happiness, for my entertainment, for my meaning, my purpose. and So you see this, this dualism, this, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but man, the way I live doesn't always show that I believe in Jesus. That's what was going on with Jezebel and Ahab, and largely because of her influence, um, it says this about, about Ahab. He did more, how would you like this to be on your, your headstone? He did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all of the kings of Israel that were before him. How'd you like to be? That's what you're known for. This dualism and provoking God to anger. Jezebel, if you'll remember, she was responsible for the killing of Naboth and the confiscation, really the theft of his vineyard uh, for her husband. She sought the death of all the prophets of Israel. She even came close to killing Elijah, if you remember that story. Her death came as a result of being thrown from a window where she was trampled by horses. And when an attempt was made to recover her body for burial, it was discovered the only thing left was her skull, her feet, and the palms of her hands because the dogs had eaten all the rest of her. And all of that was prophesied to that it would happen from Elijah. So there's this so-called prophetess in the church at Thyatira that Jesus described as being like the Jezebel of the Old Testament. And Jesus says, I have this against you, church. You're tolerating this woman whose te- the, the, her teaching is seducing my servants. Last week, I got some funny looks when I said, if, 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 if Satan can't cause you to compromise your walk with Christ through persecution, he's going to do it through seduction. And some people were going, where are you you getting that? Well, the Bible. This is what false teaching does. This is what lies do. They they cause us to be at ease when we should be at arms. So so you're tolerating this woman. Her teaching is seducing my servants. And the ultimate outcome of that is sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. You're looking more like the world than you look like sons and daughters of, of God. The implication is that while the whole church in general didn't accept the teaching, but they were tolerating it. And now, so here we go. Here, current events, right? They're doing it in the name of love. Toleration in the name of love. Right? <laughs> I'm gonna write a little parody on that, I think, after church today. They were, they were doing this in the name of love, because we're the loving church, right? And they were loving God in many wonderful ways. God commended them for that. And most likely, they're tolerating Jezebel in this false teaching. In the name of tolerance. In the name of love. Verse 24, you get an idea of what she was teaching. When Jesus said that there were some in the church who did not follow her teaching, calling it there in verse 24, what some call the deep things of Satan. Did that kind of jump out at you too? I hope that jumped out at you. I wonder, what in the world is that? I think there's some facetious, some sarcasm stuff going on here because I think what she was teaching, this is coming from different scholars, theologians, is that she was actually saying, hey, listen, I've, you, you listen to what I have to say. I'll, I'll take you into the deep things of God. Now, have you ever heard people use that phrase? Now listen, listen, yeah, the gospel's great, but let me show you the deep things of God. And and actually, they're not deep things of God, they're deep things of Satan. So you kind of see the connection there. This likely involves several layers of deception. The first was that if you were really spiritual, okay, uh, if you were really secure in your relationship with God, listen, you can join in those feasts. You can, you can eat the food sacrificed to idols. There's just, there's no, they're, they're not real gods anyway. Just eat the meat offered to them. Just be like everybody else. Engage in the celebration of the feast. Even if it means sexual immorality, everybody else is doing it. It's because you're so secure and you're so mature in your faith. It won't be sin for you. After all, isn't it really just what's in your heart? Right? doesn't matter the works that you're doing it matters what's in your heart you see you see how she's setting them up like the jezebel of the old testament for this this acceptability that christianity can both be confessions of jesus and living in worldliness and it's okay because it's really what's in your heart it is about your heart but not like the way she's trying to get them to believe. The idolatry and sexual immorality may have not been just physical acts of immorality. The Old Testament uses idolatry and adultery not just in the physical sense of uh, a spouse being unfaithful to a spouse, but it's, it's, it's used in the sense of us being unfaithful to God. Oh my goodness, guys, isn't that sobering? Can you think of, think of all of your sins and how unfaithful we have been and God sees that unfaithfulness like adultery, like a spiritual adultery. And, and so that's, there's, it may not have just been that they're all going rampant in physical sexual immorality. This may be related to the issue with the trade guilds and how tempting it is to love money more than to love the Lord. Committing spiritual adultery against him, unfaithfulness against him in order to get what I really want. And that's money and, and, and acceptability in the eyes of people and, and being liked and maintaining an income. God knows you love him. He knows you need to earn a living. So it's okay if you if you need to be in these trade guilds. God knows. God knows it's okay. The text indicates that God was giving Jezebel, and those following her teaching time to repent. That's, I mean, amazing grace, isn't it? It's amazing. But this, this was likely turned into false teaching, too, in, in the sense of this. And I don't know if you've ever had this kind of whisper in your own ear that because you didn't get a judgment, because you did something that you thought was questionable or something you knew was sinful, but because the judgment didn't come right away, you thought, must be okay. <laughs> All right. I didn't get the spanking, right? I didn't, that's so great. And so we go, and look what we're doing. We're we're actually taking the mercy and patience and grace of God and twisting it and saying, this sin is acceptable because judgment didn't come right away. She would have been teaching um, a, a spirituality focused on feelings and emotions and experiences rather than teaching the scriptures that would cause people to grow in Christ-like maturity and godliness. That should be just a a lighthouse for us in evaluating true and false teaching. Is the teaching I'm getting producing a desire in me to become more like Christ, to walk in more holiness, to, to, to take up my cross and follow the Lord, to actually be a maturing Christian? Or am I just looking for the next feeling? The next experience, that's what I'm, I'm really concerned about, next generation type ministries, because I, I, the world is trying to get them to follow spe- experience after experience after experience. You need entertainment, you need happiness. And the church is going, well, gosh, how do we keep the kids in church? I guess we've got we've to do things and entertain them too and, and give them experience after experience after experience. We're actually setting up the next generation to follow after the world. Christian teaching changes us. Christian teaching matures us. Thanks be to God. I don't want to stay the same. Do you? And entertaining each other is not going to cut it. So that's, that's she, there's an abuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I want to touch on that in just a second. But especially, particularly prophecy. And it's ascribing divine authority to her words as though they were equal to or greater than Scripture. As though somehow she's like an Old Testament prophet. So there's a real abuse of the gifts of the Spirit. She would have likely taught that these deep things of God. Oh man, I've I've had, I can't, I don't have time to give you the illustrations. But people saying to church members, listen, we're offering this Bible study. And you won't hear teaching like this in your church. It's the deep things of God. This can't be found in local churches. Pastors just don't get it. (laughs) You know, pastors don't get it. it. It can only come from special prophets like us, like her. If you want to know how serious this was in the eyes of God, look at the judgment that would come. If she and her followers did not repent, throw her on a sick bed, throw all of them into great tribulation, striking her children dead, so that all the churches will know that I am he who searches and knows the mind and heart and give according to, to your works. And they tolerated all of this. Again, likely in the name of love. They did well in loving what God loves, but they neglected to remember, to hate. What God hates. Here's just a couple of things for you in your notes. Love, guys, does not equal unconditional affirmation and acceptance of every belief and lifestyle, particularly when those beliefs and lifestyles contradict what God has called us to believe and how God has called us to live. For the Christian, tolerance used to mean, it really still should mean, That we are called to recognize every human being as made in the image of God. So there's really, there's definitely a good tolerance. We start with recognizing the imago Dei, the image of God. And we respect people in that degree. It meant that we are called to recognize other people's beliefs without being compelled to share them. Accept them or affirm them, especially if they're contradicting the word. Loving tolerance meant you took time... (laughs) these are areas i so want to grow in and then you took time to say well listen this person disagrees i'm definitely not going to back away from that but in wanting to reach them i want to learn how did you come to believe what you believe this is tolerant this is loving tolerance and this is building a bridge for evangelism isn't it how did you what life experiences did you have that made you believe what you're believing that, that led to shaping how you believe? Was there abuse in your family? Was there divorce? In the, was there poverty? Was there drug abuse? Well, I want to know. I want to know you. I want to know how you came to believe what you believe. What was your academic background? How did academics shape what you believe? What was your spiritual background? How did this spirituality shape and, and what you believe? That's, that's loving tolerance so that we can get to know someone. But it's also a tolerance that would say, now, I don't agree with what you believe. I'm not going to cancel you, <laughs> right? Oh, we disagree. That means I hate you. That's, isn't that what the world is saying about us? You're, you disagree with us. You hateful Christians. Well, not if, not if you're learning their story. Not if you're learning how they came to believe these things. It might be illuminating, isn't it? You might break your heart a little bit, shouldn't it? Because you're learning how all the crud that that has shaped them into where they are today. And oh my goodness, don't we have good news to give them in the gospel? We We can't just embrace and share everything they're believing, but we have good news, don't we? We have good news that the sins of others don't have to shape what your future is. Your own sins don't, don't disqualify unless you're unrepentant, but they don't disqualify you from having this personal and intimate and righteous relationship with God because Jesus paid the price for you. Oh, man. That's a, tolerance is, 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 is supposed to mean looking and respecting and caring and disagreeing. With the ho- offering them the hope of Jesus Christ. That, does that make sense? I hope that's making sense. Today, tolerance means that everyone's values, everybody's beliefs, everybody's lifestyles, it's all acceptable. <laughs> tolerance means that all truth claims are equal. The one thing that people fear today, you know what? <gasps> to be called intolerant. It's... It, you're unloving. It's almost like the scarlet letter today, isn't it? But the world tries to brand us with this scarlet letter, intolerant. This is uh, including some quotes from David Wells and from our own Josh Schneider. <laughs> so this is in your notes. The more the world accuses us of being intolerant and unloving, the more we will be tempted to be unbiblically tolerant undiscerning, and blindly affirming of every belief and lifestyle to the point of losing our grasp on the gospel. The more they call us intolerant, danger, Will Robinson, because it just positions our hearts, because, you know, we like to be liked. It just positions our hearts to say, I'm not intolerant. I just," And it tempts us to be unbiblically and undiscerning. and and blindly accepting and affirming everything that's being promoted. When we lose our grasp, the quote goes on, when we lose our grasp on the gospel, we will drift into ever-increasing worldliness. In the words of David Wells, this is such a good quote, worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. In the words of SGC's own Josh Schneider, this is known as the normalization of deviation. That's what happens in this realm of of a wrong idea of tolerance in the lives of believers. To be biblically tolerant, you you actually have to believe that there are moral absolutes given by God. You have to believe there are moral absolutes. That's why when you say, when we get up and sometimes we say, when we're going to read a book right now that's not like any other book, this is a book that God addresses us through. This is a book of moral absolutes. This is a book that reflects His holy righteousness. We have to actually believe you, there's not a real tolerance unless you actually believe something's right and wrong. You have to believe there's a righteousness and sin. In order to demonstrate the love, patience, and mercy of God, that you don't hate or cancel those who disagree with you. In the name of the love of Christ and the salvation of their souls, we actually not only declare what we don't believe, but the gospel we do believe. In fact, we're called to more than tolerance. <laughs> I hate that the world is controlling the narrative, and I think it's just because we're just silent. I, I, I don't know if we know what to say. We're called to do more than tolerance. We're called to pray for those who persecute us. We're called to love our enemies and lay down our lives if that's what it takes for them to both hear and see the gospel of Christ. So how do we do that? Sound doctrine. That's our only hope. Sound doctrine. But Pastor Billy. doesn't that divide people? Doctrine divides and love unifies. (laughs) It's a bumper sticker that you should get off your car as fast as possible. I mean, that's, uh, oh no. Actually, it's the sound doctrine of God's word that teaches us what love is and how it's seen in Christ and how to be empowered by that love for Christ and the glory of God and the salvation of the lost. We have to be committed to sound doctrine and to loving others like Christ has loved us. We need both the sound doctrine of God's word and the love of Christ to empower us to hold fast. You saw that in the text. Hold fast to Christ and his mission until the end. J. Gresham Machen. There's just some great thinkers about this, this topic. Read along with me. It says, indifferentism about doctrine makes no heroes of the faith people are not going to die for undefined and ever-changing truths Wow, so good this is the little bridge do you know we're a continuationist church not only do we need sound doctrine we need the ministry and gifts of the holy spirit and i think it would really be easy to take this text and to go see i knew all that prophecy stuff was yucky (laughs) <laughs> you know, we're, and we're, it's like we're throwing the baby out with the we're, we're, we're we maybe confessionally believe that they're the gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit confessionally but functionally we're, we're really more afraid of abuses of the gifts and so we kind of stay away from them the Bible doesn't say stay away from spiritual gifts the Bible says eagerly desire them the Bible says to actually pursue them in their biblical sense and context we believe in our church about the New Testament gift of prophecy, which is not like the Old Testament. It doesn't, it's not the writing of Scripture. It doesn't mean that there's an authority in the person giving it. it, it the, the authority in our church is right here. It's right here. It's the Scriptures. That's the authority. But did you know the Holy Spirit? God knows your hearts. He's looking at you with those, eye, those fiery eyes of love. He knows what you're worried about. He knows, he knows you're so frustrated about the same sin that you're so slow to really get rid of and change and mortify, and, and it's amazing. He knows when you're, when you're k- k- worried about your kids. He knows, oh, he knows the vomit you cleaned up at 3 in the morning. He knows everything in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's so wonderful. Haven't you had this, this happen to you? that someone comes up to you and says, you know, I, I just, I read this passage of scripture and I just, you were on my heart. I couldn't get you off my heart. And, and here it is. I don't know if it's going to mean anything to you or not. And, and if, if it doesn't, listen, that's okay. It's just, just count it. Just I love you. And I was hoping that maybe this might encourage you. And you're going, I haven't told anyone about what I was going through. And this speaks exactly To where I am. And this is such a reminder that Jesus loves me. This I know. We believe in that expression of the New Testament gift of prophecy. We would ask, in eagerly desiring it and and pursuing it, that, that you would take your personal devotions and don't make them just personal. Would you pray for our church family with your devotions? And there may be something that just just the love of God wells up in your heart about a passage of Scripture or something you're praying about that was Scripture informed, and you're just feeling. I think this. You'll see it. You see it in the notes there. First Corinthians fourteen three says the one who prophesies speaks to people for their edification, encouragement, and comfort. And that's just something in your heart. There's just something. I I think this is going to either strengthen somebody's faith. I think this may be comforting to someone. I think this would be encouraging. And you know what? Here's what you do with that. Call Hugh. Call Alan. Call me. Let's talk about it. It may be something that you're to share on a Sunday morning. You know? I hope you do that for your family. Husbands, I hope when you're reading your Bible, you're not just going, oh God, I need a word from you. I just need a word from you. I hope you're going, dear God, please speak to me. But also show me is something that I'm reading today. Could it encourage my precious wife? Because this is one of the ways I want, to, I want my latter love for her to be better than the former. I want to nurture her and cherish her more in the remaining years of my marriage than the former. So is there something here, God? Is there something here? Is there something here for our church? It might be during the singing. That there's, there's, there's a truth statement. We've declared some powerful truth about God. I wish I would have written it down today. Alan, there was one of the songs. This, I, and I. <laughs> now you know what Jan goes through. If only Billy would listen. You know, <laughs> I didn't write it down. But you could, you know what you do? Come up on a Sunday morning. I'm sitting right up here. You know where I'm sitting. Find Alan, find Hugh, and say, I think I have something that might be an encouragement to the church. Okay, great. We're a team. Tell me. And, and most likely, we're going to say, share it. So let's, let's don't take the abuse of the, the gift of prophecy, and, and because we're afraid of abuses, to not sit before the Lord and experience his love in the uses of spiritual gifts. Does that make sense? Sorry, I, that wasn't... I took... Uh, I wrestled. But I think we've just got to be sharing this. I... I you guys are sensitive to the Lord. You're, you're truth lovers. How would the Lord want to use that in terms of the Holy Spirit and his ministry among us when we gather? So I think for, the, for this, how can we be praying? Well, you know, there typically would be two kinds of people. One person says, well, I'm the loving person. <laughs> right. Come on. Let me give you a hug. Right? Or I tell it like it is, dude. Person. You know, we're, there's the loving person or the truth person, right? Well, you know what? The person who just is, I'm the loving hugger person. Unbelievers can be that. Just to tell it like it is, truth person. That's all you're cared about. That's your ministry. <laughs> unbelievers can do that. You know who God's people are? God's people our truth lovers, lover, truthers, lover. Ooh, we'll have to work on that. <laughs> Isn't that so where does where would the Lord want you to grow in that? So we need that. If this is all how we don't tolerate sin and false teaching and immorality and all of those things. You know how we we guard against it is because we need sound doctrine, we need truth tellers, and we need Christ-like lovers. I just want, I'll just, I'm I'll not going to pause a long time here, but I just want to ask the Lord to help us with this. Dear Lord, would you help us with that? That to me sounds like maturing love. That to me sounds like a maturing Christian who would be growing in the ability for loving patience and kindness and forgiveness and grace and mercy, as well as sharing the truth of Scripture whether it's in a word of encouragement or a word of correction, I pray that you'd help us as elders to be more that way. Lord, you know me. I I would tend to probably gravitate toward being the hugger, and uh, there's times that I've backed away from from expressing that love through a corrective word of truth from Scripture. Would you help us as elders to pastor the church better in those realms? Would you help us as a church family? to grow in those ways. We ask that in Jesus' name. Last point is is beautiful and it's quick. God calls us to hold fast to Christ, who is our greatest gift, and he gives two promises there. I I love these promises, because when it says, to him who overcomes, it's not a threat. It's not like, oh, I hope I'm among that number. I hope I'm among... I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) There's way too many goofy songs coming to my mind. I hope I make it. I hope I'm a conqueror. I don't know if I'm a conqueror. The reason it's in the book is because Christ in you gives you the triumph of the Lamb. And we're going to be hearing more about that in the rest of the series. Um, It's not a threat. It's, It's for you to hope in that God gives me grace to triumph. I don't have to stay the way I am. And here's what he promises. Listen, living the life that I've just tried to teach you on probably will be costly. I mean, you think about our brothers and sisters back in Thyatira in those in those days. Probably pretty costly teaching, wasn't it? I may have to clean toilets to provide for my family. Because I can't be an engineer. Because I will not bow down to idols. I'm not going to bow my soul down to an idol. And I'm going to trust the Lord to provide for my family's needs. And I'm going to shine the light of the gospel in the midst of it. So it's going to be costly. And and that's why, oh man, there's just so much to say and never enough time. Um, When it talks about sharing in in being, kind of ruling and reigning with Christ over the nations, I think we as kind of Americans who haven't had too much trouble. I think we look at those kind of things and we go, freak me out. This sounds weird. I'm pottery breaking and stomping on things, and what is that? You know, I think when you're the person who's been willing to lay your life down for Christ and you've experienced persecution and rejection and marginalization, and you've lost jobs because of your faith in Christ, and you I mean, just you've lost family members because you're facing faith in Christ. Isn't it good to know that you're not always gonna be on the end of being persecuted? There's a reward. And and you're going to share in Christ, in his rule over all things. And the last, the morning star, was actually taken out of Numbers. And it was a foreshadowing. It was a, a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. And the reason we know it is Revelation 22. Jesus himself calls himself the bright and morning star. So you know what? You may lose a lot in this world. You're not going to hear prosperity gospel here Following Jesus, you may lose a lot, but you're going to gain more because God's going to give you the gift of himself, and that will far exceed anything that you've lost in serving him. Can we stand? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we've already been uh, bowing before you in the course of the sermon We would just ask, God, that you would take the words of the text and write them on our hearts. We want to behold you, and in beholding you, we want to become more like you in love and truth, holding fast to the gospel, regardless of what it costs, until Jesus comes again.